630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Drop pass, Dreisel to McDavid down the middle. Wrist shot, score! Connor McDavid, just like that. Smith, three clubbing right hands. Right hands have it. Big right-handed shot from Mike Smith. This is the battle of Alberta. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Brought to you by Cam LLP Injury Lawyers. Representing injured people in Edmonton and across Alberta since 1962. On 6.30 Chad. Halfway through the week. Thanks for tuning in. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports. The World Junior Hockey Championships gearing up this time next week. They'll be completing the preliminary around games before the tournament gets underway on Christmas Day. Canada will play Germany to begin the tournament. It'll run through January 5th in the bubble at Rogers Place. I bring this up because uh, some good news out of the bubble. This is according to Post Media's Terry Jones. Uh, no positive tests among 10 teams. So that is good. Now, that hasn't been formally announced yet, but uh, Terry is quite connected, so I will go with what he says. So that's good news. That's good news. So getting to the bubble was one thing. Um, The integrity of the bubble now has to be maintained, and so far it is. I believe they leave the bubble or the bubble – or they can go to practice, I believe, after Friday, if I'm correct. I think it's five straight days you have to test positive, or sorry, test negative. And if you do that uh, every day, you're cleared to uh, go practice with your team. So uh, it is uh, a good start. Now, speaking of start, as it's Dave Campbell and for Reed Wilkins once again this evening, I'm uh, in all week. Reed will be back on Monday, the 21st. The NHL story. Well, let's just go right to it. Uh, John Shannon, longtime broadcast executive in sports and in the National Hockey League and an NHL insider, joined Bob Stoffer today to give the latest on what is to start a 2021 season, uh, hopefully on January the 13th. We know they're talking, and there's a, there's a great deal of discussion on so many different levels, whether it be COVID-related or COVID rules-related. Um, you know, we know that there is a, a schedule that has been circulated amongst the teams uh, for a 56-game schedule that starts on the 13th. That was built on the basis of playing in each of the arenas. And, you know, as of today, there's I think there's question marks of, of whether uh, each team in the NHL can start in its own city. We know that we know right now that San Jose cannot. Uh, we know that there's a good possibility that the state of New York is going to shut down uh, to a great extent. What does that do for uh, the Islanders, the Rangers, and the Sabres? Uh, there are huge, huge questions still when it comes to COVID and when things can open up. Dr. Fauci has advised many people within the hockey world uh, that the uh, the pinnacle of the pandemic will be the 15th of January. Uh, what does that do to the thinking process? Uh, I talked to one person today who's closer to the player's side, and they suggested uh, that uh, we probably are going to start in bubbles of some sort. It won't be the bubble like we saw in Toronto and Edmonton, but we could have multiple bubble cities, Edmonton, Toronto, 
Toronto, Montreal in Canada, and three in each of the divisions in the United States. And who knows when that that season would start, and who knows how many games it would have. So let's add in some uh, further context by means of NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman, who spoke today via video conference as part of the World Hockey Forum in Moscow. So, and I'm going to have to read quotes here because there's no video or audio of this, but this is what Bettman says. We are focused on starting at some point, hopefully in mid-January. It is clear that we will not be playing an 82-game schedule for the regular season, which we normally do, but we're going to try and play as many games as possible. So January 13th is currently the date that is being reported. Now, Gary Bettman has not come out and said that is the official date, but several sources, including uh, people you have on uh, here on this station, like John Shannon, you hear from Elliot Friedman of Sportsnet, also Chris Johnson of Sportsnet, they've all, they all have said January the 13th. So... Now, and we talked about this last night, Adrian Dater, who is a longtime NHL beat writer in Denver, who is connected, he tweeted out and said sources are telling him that uh, there will be no bubbles, that teams will be able to play, the 31 teams will be able to play in their own ranks. And then it was Chris Johnson that reported, and then Elliot Friedman reported that, well, maybe not so much. We might have to start in bubbles. And this is what Gary Bettman said. Um, Right now, we are focused on whether or not we are going to play in our buildings or do some limited traveling or play in a bubble. And that's something we're working on getting medical advice on. And he says, I don't think we can conduct an entire regular season in a bubble format like we saw here in Edmonton and we saw in Toronto for the Stanley Cup playoffs with the 24 teams. But circumstances depending on where COVID-19 is spiking, adds Bettman, and where the medical system is being taxed at any given time may require us to adjust. We didn't think we could put players in a bubble for six months. That just wasn't practical. So the Canadian division is definitely in play. He said we may have to, for only the regular season, have the Canadian teams play each other in Canada in one or more cities, and then we have to realign the remaining 24 teams in the U.S. One of the things that we're doing for the regular season as we're planning it is we're going to just play within our divisions. We're not going to play every team against everybody else uh, in in the course of a season. So smaller hubs could be definitely in play. And Elliot Friedman has already reported, he tweeted out this morning, that the cities that are considered... Uh, for these hubs are Las Vegas, Columbus, New York, New Jersey, and either Toronto or, or Edmonton. And you wonder if Edmonton's in the running or in the lead there because there's a bubble set up already. There has been for the Stanley Cup playoffs. It's there now for the World Junior Hockey Championships. Is it simple enough to bring seven teams, including the Oilers, in to Edmonton and play games and they're still on the table, I believe, as well, that you play for a couple of weeks or so, and then you leave the bubble, you go to your home destinations, and you spend time with your family, and then you come back into the bubble and play another set of games. So, and John Shannon referenced that there are a couple of teams that can't play 
where they're located right now. The San Jose Sharks can't, for example. So Bettman adds, for example, we have a couple of clubs that can't hold training camp or conduct games even without fans in their current buildings and facilities, and we're going to have to move them somewhere else to play. If enough teams can't play again without fans in their own facilities, then we may have to move uh, more towards a hub. And it may be that some teams are playing in other buildings, and it may be a whole group of teams that have to play in other buildings. And he adds the uh, final point here from Bettman. The biggest challenge is making sure that our players and supporting personnel are safe and healthy and making sure that we're not doing anything that puts the communities in which we're playing at risk, either in terms of spreading COVID or taking medical resources, whether it's testing or vaccinations. Now, there's always been the concern that there's owners that don't want to play from a financial point of view. That's going to just cost them too much money. But John Shannon believes that Gary Bettman, well, he was asked by Bob today, do you think Bettman has to give in any owner that they have to play this year? No, not anymore. Uh, I think that I think that uh, that ship has sailed. I, I think that there is a tremendous amount of vote of confidence uh, in, uh, in Gary. I think that occurred last week with the executive committee, even some of the, uh, the uh, teams that were leaning towards not wanting to play, not paying salaries, closing down for the year. I think that there became there was a vote of confidence for Bettman and a belief that what Gary what Gary has done since 1993 for this league is something that the owner should believe in. All right. And I think the point is now, and I think it's pretty clear from Gary Bettman, and you can uh, chime in here as well at 780-496-0063 to call or text on this or whatever's on your mind in the sporting world. But I think you have to kind of read between the lines, and I think Bettman stated it somewhat clearly, that if we're not going to have fans in our buildings, and if we're being advised to think about a hub city model again for part of the season, if not all of the season, maybe you get to the point where if you get to March, April, because if you're going to start mid-January or if you're going to start, you know, on the 20th or 27th or in early February, you're, you're talking somewhere between 56 and 48 games. You're probably playing until early May. So can you get to say April? Can you get to late April? Or do you have to play this whole model in a hub for the entire regular season? And can you get into your own buildings when the playoffs start? Like, there's a lot of unanswered questions, but they are going to play. It's just how do you do it? And silence is kind of golden right now because you're not hearing a lot of things. And usually in a negotiation like this, that's a good thing. You know, the money's settled. And that's something that we're going to probably circle back to somewhere down the road because there are owners that are probably upset at the players, even though the players are upset at the owners that say, Hey, you, you came back to try and change our deal that we signed in, in the summer to play. And we signed for six years. Why did we sign this document for? And the owners are saying, because the math we thought that was going to work, isn't going to work. And I'm sorry, but it's hard to project this in a COVID world. I'm sorry. So then, okay, off it's all off the table. So the players are going to be uh, in the, they're going to have the advantage this year, but down the road, they're going to owe the owners a lot of money. And players that aren't even in the league yet 
um, are going to owe the owners a lot of money. But so that's been settled, but it's just the details, so many details, so many, tons of details that have to be figured out. As far as roster sizes go, and how do you account for possible positive cases, uh, John Shannon had this to say. I, I think that there's a lot of discussion between the league and the union to figure out all of the rostering implications. Uh, like, for instance, if, you, if, if you're on the NHL roster and you get COVID uh, and you go on a COVID reserve list, does your salary, you're not on, you're, you're not on the IR, you're on a short-term list, does your money count against the cap for that period of time you're on the COVID list? Those are things that have to be discussed and that are being worked out. Um, that's that's the interesting now, and whether they just live and die by what the uh, rules that they had in the summer go, that may be one thing. But when you consider that if you're going to play a longer season uh, and there is some travel involved, how are you going to bring players who are going to re uh, replacement players? Where are you going to put them? Are the are they going to get NHL salaries? I mean, I think there's lots of things player-based that have to be discussed uh, between the union and the league before we figure out whether um, how many guys come to camp or not. I'll add this too uh, from Frank Saravalli of TSN. Uh, he tweeted uh, this about three hours ago. He had two tweets, so I'll read, uh, I'll read both. First tweet, as the NHL and NHLPA work tirelessly on protocol and logistics, hearing NHL has designed a triple header for opening night centered around the Bolts banner raising versus perhaps the Chicago Blackhawks, a big East clash, New York Rangers, Boston Bruins, perhaps, and a marquee West matchup, which might be Colorado Avalanche, St. Louis Blues. Question is, can they pull it off by January the 13th? Of course, all details, this is the second tweet, of course, all details and matchup slash team subject to change. Answer is neither side truly knows whether they can get everything done in time for January 13th. That's the target, but they aren't beholden to the date. Could be a week later. They're trying. So lots, it's not, they're not sitting there doing nothing. They're working hard at this, but this, there's a lot of moving pieces. Kevin text in. I hope it changes once they start playing, but as it stands right now, I'm not even getting excited about them returning to play. I understand that. I understand that because we're, we're just, this kind of feels like a labor dispute, but add to that, it's the pandemic too. But I think a lot of us felt that way going into the Stanley Cup playoffs, and then I think we were pretty excited when it came around, even though it was a tough outing for the owners. With all the money owners and the league, I'll throw in the players, uh, and I'll throw in the players have, would it not be a good idea to take games outdoors? Just a thought, Mike from Onaway. That was talked about a couple weeks ago. Elliot Friedman mentioned that there was a, a, a handful of American teams that were looking into this. The problem is it's expensive. And in a year where your revenues are going to be cut by 60, 70%, I don't know if that's the right thing to do. Uh, Tegan says that most, I think that most of not all regular season games will be played in multiple hockey bubbles in certain cities. The playoffs will be pulled back to three hubs. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, so I think it's just finding the the finding a way for both sides to get all the long list of details ironed out, and it's because it's not simplest. Okay, we're ready. Let's go play. Let's go play. 
No. Doesn't work in a COVID world, unfortunately. Doesn't work. But they're they're trying. They're working hard at it. They will come together on something, I would suggest, soon. And when the date is actually made, it might be fast. It might be, okay, training camp starts in less than a week. Starts in four, three, three four days. Because there's a slew of players that are coming back from Europe to quarantine. And we'll give you the order list here soon. 621. It's Campbell and for Wilkins on Inside Sports. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins is brought to you by Cam LLP Injury Lawyers. Representing injured people in Edmonton and across Alberta since 1962. So as I mentioned, several Oilers are on their way back from Europe. As uh, they got uh, the Oilers sent several prospects over because, of course, there's no uh, there's no major junior going on right now in Canada, and there's not a there's no American Hockey League as well. So Evan Bouchard, Theodore Lindstrom, Joachim Nygaard, Dominic Cahoon, Tyler Benson, Ryan McLeod, Gaetan Haas are on their way back. Now the the final three I mentioned, uh, Benson, McLeod, Haas will play their final games today. Philip Broberg is going to play for Sweden here at the World Hockey uh, World Junior Hockey Championships in Edmonton. And then if the brass likes what they see, Ken Holland and company, then there's a good chance he'll be invited to training camp or he could go back to Sweden. Uh, Bob Stoffer tweeted out today. Here's a list of the uh, here's a list of players staying in Europe. Kirill Maximov, Dmitry Samarukov, they're both will be playing in the K. A uh, goaltender Olivier Rodrigue is playing in Denmark, I believe. Then Raphael Lavoie, Philip Berglund, and Philip Kemp will all stay because right now there's nowhere to, for them to play in North America. So the ripple effect of, uh, and we talked about it yesterday, the WHL is delaying their start. It's supposed to be January the 8th. Now it's an indefinite postponement or a definite delay, which will be figured out in early January. The OHL isn't playing yet. They hope to be playing in early February. The Q is playing, um, well, partially playing. But how does this affect everything? And we'll talk about the World Junior Hockey Championships with Sam Cosentino, fine analyst of the Canadian Hockey League on Sportsnet. In a moment here on 6.30 Chat Inside Sports. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 6.30 Chat. Dave Campbell for Reed Wilkins tonight and for the rest of this week. Reed will be back on Monday. Quebec and Manitoba officials say that they are pretty uh, comfortable with the NHL's return to play plans. Um, they obviously know more than we do <laughs> at this point, um, which you know, to me is not really a surprise. Uh, Quebec Premier Francois Legault says uh, the province's public health measures should it impact a resumption of activities for the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, Legault's comments come as Quebec stiffens its restrictions in an effort to contain a second wave of COVID-19. Uh, Calgary Flames, they've hired Jason LaBarbera as the team's new goaltending coach and promoted Jordan Sigalette to the new role of director of goaltending. LaBarbera will take over day-to-day duties with Flames netminders. LaBarbera will be a guest on this show tomorrow night at this time slot at six, uh, just after 6.30. He is currently the goaltending coach for the, the uh, Canadian 
uh, junior teams. CFL News, Alouettes have restructured the contract of starting quarterback Vernon Adams, re-signed Eugene Lewis to a one-year deal. Uh, Adams uh, says, or the Alouettes say Adams' new deal allows them to retain some talent on their roster. So Adams' contract runs through 2022. Lewis, great season in 2019, uh, led the Alouettes with 1,133 receiving yards, scored five touchdowns, named the CFL East All-Star. And the Alouettes also signed veteran offensive lineman, former Edmonton football team member Tony Washington to a one-year deal. He'll be entering his 10th season. Saskatchewan Roughriders have signed Canadian defensive back Mike Edom, 2019 all-star and long snapper and former Edmonton football team draft pick from 2013, Jorgen Hughes. In the NFL, uh, the, uh, I'll talk about this later. Or we can talk about it now. NFL teams won't be allowed to create local bubbles during the postseason by requiring players to stay at a hotel except for the night before the game. This line just slays me. The concern is a risk of significant spread of the virus when players and staff are gathered for an extended period of time at one hotel. Did they not? Do they not have any idea what happened in the National Hockey League? Do they not have any idea what happened in Major League Baseball? But especially the National Hockey League, it's like they've never heard of this concept before. I don't know, maybe they have to play bubbles in uh, the major junior hockey league season. I have no idea. As we bring in uh, Sam Cosentino, the fine analyst for the uh, CHL on Sportsnet. Sam, how you doing? Yeah, doing good. Pretty wild times, eh? <laughs> oh, no no question. Like, I think the NFL just wants to flex their muscles and say, no, no, we got it. Don't worry about it. Hey, we're good. We're good. Look how we look how well we've handled things, right? Uh, we don't need no bubbles. It's it's just weird like their mentality about this. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's so different for every sport. You know how weird it's been. I mean, obviously the you know, I I think the the, the best thing that we've seen so far is what the NHL did when they went into the two bubbles and it and it actually worked. And so, you know, if players want to play that badly and owners want to, you know, try and create whatever they can revenue-wise from television, then that's kind of the best thing to do. Or else you're going to get a, a flawed kind of result any way you look at it. You know, when Denver doesn't have to play with any quarterbacks, when this guy, the best quarterback in the league, has to sit out a game, all these other things, yeah. Well, the, the one way to avoid it is, is you do the bubble thing. And if you're not willing to do that at any point, then you take the risk of, you know, again, having that flawed result. And if you're okay with that, then, then so be it. But uh, we're going to see here what's, uh, what's going to happen with the NHL is going to be really fascinating to me. Yeah, it, it just seems to me, Sam, that uh, I know the desire is to play in home arenas, and and I understand that totally, but it just seems like bubbles are, are gaining steam here, and it's uh, plan B is really overtaking or really gaining uh, ground on plan A, and I think it might end up being plan A. Well, the, the way I look at it is, is I take the Western Hockey League, for example, and I really feel for Ron Robinson because he's not only dealing with the Northwest United States, he's dealing with BC, then Alberta, then Saskatchewan, then Manitoba. And so you have all of these different rules depending on um, how COVID has affected those areas. And now you want to try and ha have some standardized return to play protocols, yet there's nothing standard about any of the places in which you're going to play. So 
as, as that translates to the National Hockey League, it's the same sort of thing. What's happening in Carolina is different from Florida, from Toronto, from Montreal, quarantine, yeah. cross-border. So those things are all really hard to navigate when you have so many uh, different uh, variances in, in what the rules are for each place. And, you know, as we've seen, things have been pretty lax in the States, but now they've picked up with the, the vaccine um, thing going on there. And so, again, the, the safest way to do it is, is to do it in bubbles. So it really is going to test the, the the metal of these players and these owners if, if they want to play you know bubbles or hub cities where where you mitigate the, the spread due to travel and and uh, mingling with with quote outside people that that's the way to do it and if you're not willing to do that then you you know you take the risk of not being able to play a full season not being able to play a season that's worthy of handing out a stanley cup and so on and, you know, the, the Q has really struggled with this as well. And, you know, Quebec cases have been very tough to deal with. Uh, they started their season. Then they had a bunch of outbreaks with, with teams. And then they said, let's put everyone in a bubble for what, I think, uh, two weeks, 17 days. And now they're not playing at all. And I believe the maritime portion, though, is playing. Is that correct? Well, they're, they're not anymore. They were rocking oh, okay. and rolling pretty good, and they got about 15, 16 games in, and then the Maritimes had started to experience spread like they hadn't before, um, and so even they got shut down. And what happened was when, when the Quebec teams went into the bubble, they were trying to play catch-up with where the Maritimes were. So essentially, as the Quebec teams went into the bubble, the Maritime teams were on shutdown. So you really have a, a, a variance there. of I think one team has as many as 16 games, and then you have... Um, you know, other uh, at least one team I think it's Sherbrooke is that only has five games played. So, you know, valiant effort in trying to do it. Um, you know, junior hockey is an entirely different animal because you're dealing with kids, um, and so we we have to really strongly consider what that's all about as compared to men who are, you know, are, this is their livelihood. It's the new uh, t- uh, statistical metric uh, points percentage that's probably going to have to be used in, <laughs> in perhaps in the in in major junior because I don't know it's it's like the cue it, you can't have everyone play the same amount of games unless they find a way to reset and say okay we're going to play thirty more games or thirty five more games and, and the Ontario Hockey League and, and they don't have the uh, geographic issues that say the western hockey league although there are what two teams in the u.s that probably would have to come cross border into canada and play somewhere so um and of course they have to agree that body checking that's the government that has to be implemented into yes you know doug ford is gets a lot of criticism but at least he's i'm glad he stepped in and said no i think we should have body checking actually that's good but uh i want to bring this subject up as well because it was brought up last night from a texture that's saying how tough is it going to be for National Hockey League scouts to prepare for a 2021 draft with perhaps limited data? Now, let's assume that everyone is going to play, uh, but it will be a limited number of games compared to what you normally see. I mean, how much of a challenge is this going to be for scouts? Huge. It's a huge challenge. And so everything that's been done to this point has been done mostly by video. Now, having said that, there's a lot of teams that have European-based scouts. Um, we know the Swedes, the Finns, the Czechs, the Slovaks, they've been playing the Russians to a certain extent. Um, you know, they have some games under their belt. I think almost all of those leagues uh, in the under-20s 
um, have have games under their belt. So local European scouts would have been able to see those players, um, you know, with in in person. The same thing in the Maritimes. I know that uh, early on in the season um, that people that uh, didn't have um, scouts in the Maritimes actually went out and hired scouts that live in the Maritimes because they were in their insulated bubble. And so they got to see, you know, a number of games live and in person. Um, but, you know, it's mostly going to be based on video. I mean, the thing you have to consider is, A, budgets for traveling, B, safety in travel, and then C, the liability that comes along with that travel. So there's a lot of different considerations, all of which have some sort of financial impact on the clubs. And therefore, you're looking at what's going to be largely a, a 2003 born age group that's, that's scouted by, by video. Sam Pazzettino joining us from the uh, CHL on Sportsnet, uh, fine analyst for uh, for the Canadian Hockey League, joining us on 6.30, Chad, Inside Sports. Um, what are your thoughts on Dylan Gunther, the Oil Kings, Edmonton Oil Kings, and where he might factor in, and it's early, but where he might factor in in the 2021 draft? It sounds like he's a, yeah. he's a high pick potential. Yeah, no question about it. And I got to watch Dylan, um, you know, live and in person a couple of times last year. I mean, the goal scoring ability really stands out. And talking to, to Kurt Hill, the general manager for uh, the Edmonton Oil Kings, uh, you know, he's gotten a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger. They've been keeping an eye on him at least at the start of the year when he was playing in the AJ. I want to say it was with with Spruce Grove or Sherwood Park. I can't remember which one exactly, but uh, you know, he at least got a couple of games under his belt, and obviously a very important year for Dylan. But you know, I love the skating. I love the edge work. Uh, He's got a little bit of swagger to him, which I really like. You know that that confidence that um, exudes his play out on the ice. He's a, probably an underrated playmaker, but I think the thing that really you know sticks out about his game is his ability to, when he has the puck on the on the stick, he he becomes dangerous just about every time. Let's uh, let's transition here. The uh, World Junior Hockey Championships. It'll be a lot different, but just to have the chance to be able to watch it as per normal and so far so good there's no positive tests within the bubble as all 10 teams are in their quarantine period um a lot of comparisons with this team to maybe being the best team since the stack team in 2005 in north dakota led by uh, Sidney crosby first of all 20 out of 22 players are first round draft picks including the oilers uh, dylan holloway from this year wow that's uh that's quite the number yeah, I mean, you know, consider that 26 first-rounders went into camp, and that doesn't include Shane Wright, so you could easily say he'd be the, the 27th because he's a first-round pick, you know, two years from now. So uh, when seven of those players have to be cut, that uh, speaks to the depth of, of what your country has to offer. But, you know, I look at this group, and I was so excited even going back two years ago to the 2002 born. So those players that were just drafted here in October, the 2020 draft, and, you know, some of them have already come to the fore. We're going to see them. Uh, playing in this tournament and then the high-end 0-1s those that uh, are, have returned here are unbelievable I mean I think about Bo and Byram and, and Dylan Cousins and you know even Kirby Dock being um, allowed to, to play by the Chicago Blackhawks a really 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 impressive group so I'm looking forward to, to watching them uh, if indeed they can they can get things going here I, I don't think we're quite at the finish line in terms of the start of this this tournament or at least the exhibition play yet we still yeah. you know there's still a little ways to go to get there yeah, for sure. Of course, the number one area that everyone always looks at with the World Junior, uh, Canadian World Junior team is, of course, the goaltenders, <laughs> and uh, the uh, the three that are on the uh, 
are uh, that are on the roster: uh, Devin Levi, uh, Taylor Gauthier, and Dylan Garand. Uh, and we're going to have Jason LaBarbera, who's the goaltending coach for Team Canada, on tomorrow night on the show. But I often wonder, and I'll ask Jason this tomorrow. But I'm going to ask you. I often wonder because we look at the we look at the roster and we recognize so many players, and we get to the goaltenders and. It's almost like we just, like we have no idea who these these goaltenders are, and then automatically we go, "Oh, I don't know if they're any good." Yeah, I, I think it's fair to say that because they're a little bit unknown, and for different reasons here. I mean, Taylor Gauthier is a gold medal winner team with the with the under eighteen team, so he does have that experience in his back pocket. But he plays his regular season games at Prince George, and while he bit, made a bit of a name for himself at, at the um, Kubota Top Prospects game last year, he's still a guy that because he plays in Prince George, maybe doesn't get that that big city hype. And then I look at Dylan Grand; mm-hmm. he's in a, a similar situation. You know, a New York Rangers fourth round pick kid who lives in Victoria but plays his hockey in Kamloops and you know Kamloops a little bit more central than, than where uh, Prince George is but still you know on the outskirts in terms of that big market coverage so you don't know a lot about him and then I'd say the same thing about Devin Levi is he's a guy who came out of the tier two ranks um, but really did wonders with um, Canada East's World Junior A Challenge team last year in which he was named MVP of that tournament so each of these players does have some cachet does have some really high marks on their resume maybe they're just not quite as well known as you know when you had Justin Pogge when he was playing in Calgary or you know when you had Roberto Luongo and everyone knew about him so um, I do think though there are all three guys are very capable and I really look forward to the competition that settles that number one job who's the biggest threat to Team Canada in the uh, in the pursuit of a gold medal well, I mean, I look at their pool, and, and I think Finland's going to be the only one to give them some, some stiff competition, and so that should make for a fun New Year's Eve night. Uh, and then once mm-hmm. you get outside that and you look into the other pool, I mean, you got the Swedes there that are really good. Um, the Russians are going to be good again, and uh, I think the Americans are, you know, they have depth up front. They, they look a lot like um, Canada's team. You know, they had that core group from that uh, 2001 born under 18 team they're kind of reunited here uh, really deep up front uh, they get some key guys in the back end you know cam york jake sanderson and then i think they have the best goaltending tandem in um, in dustin wolf and spencer knight so i think the u.s probably poses the most formidable threat once you get outside of canada's group Sam, as always, it's always uh, great to have you on the show and sharing your insights and uh, appreciate it as always. All the best. Uh, enjoy the World Juniors and uh, have a Merry Christmas. All the best to you and your, you and your family. Yeah, thanks so much, Dave. Stay safe. Happy holidays. I appreciate you having me on. You betcha. Sam Cosentino, the fine analyst for the CHL on Sportsnet. Uh, Campbell in for Wilkins here tonight on 630 Chat Inside Sports. Back in a moment. Hi, this is Jujar Carroll from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet. And it's Dave Campbell and for Reed Wilkins here on a Wednesday evening at 6.53. Oh, but look who's on the line. It's Reed Wilkins. Reed? Dave, Buddy? you're sounding excellent. Just wanted to say hello. Hope the show's going well this week. You're doing an outstanding job as we all knew that you would. I'm, uh, I'm waiting in a long line of cars to get into Caddy Cane Lane, so I'm hoping by midnight we're in to, uh, to see the light. It's a very extended, slow-moving 
lineup. Of course, uh, driving only this year. You can't you can't walk on Candy Cane Lane. No. So enjoying listening to you while waiting, and uh, I've moved about three car lengths in the last 20 minutes. Buddy, if, if that's a good sign in my opinion, because if it's going that slow, then Candy Cane Lane must be just absolutely on fire good this year. So that's what I'm hoping for you as well, that you will agree and it will be awesome. So thank you very much for, for those kind words. And while I have you on the line, um, all I want to say, and we're not going to spoil anything, but I know you love Star Trek Discovery. I've been binge watching it for the last 10 days, two weeks, and I'm almost caught up. It is next level good this year. It is absolutely outstanding. Yeah, it's good. It's a really good show. They do a good job with the characters, and they uh, they don't shy away from the science fiction. Like they uh, they really push it. They've obviously had time travel and alternate universes and alternate methods of uh, of moving through space. And I do enjoy when they have those scenes when two characters just get in this real technical jargon with each other and i feel it's the writers of the show just saying hey we all know nobody's following this but we're assuming this is how these people would talk if they were actually on a spaceship <laughs> yeah it's good uh, i think I, I think there's four or five episodes left in the season and i believe it's every thursday even new year's eve and uh, and christmas eve i'm glad you're watching it it's a good show yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun this year. It's uh, making up for a clunky end to last season, so it's uh, it's totally uh, it's totally redeemed itself. All right, buddy, thanks for the thanks for the phone call and the support as always. Enjoy Candy Cane Lane. Okay, we'll talk to you later in the week. Okay, see you, Dave. All right, Reed Wilkins in a slow line, but a long line, but that might be a good thing too. A slow line, Kellen Kennedy, might mean that people are just so in awe of the of the attraction that they don't want to yeah. move. Uh, and I'm due for my candy cane lane visit for the year too, so I'm hoping uh, within the next uh, week or so to get out, out there and check out all the lights and the fantastic um, the displays that are always a part of well, one of the city's oldest holiday traditions, candy cane lane. No question about it. Yeah, I want to take the the family as well. Take uh, my wife and our our two uh, our two little ones mm-hmm. down there as well. Okay, got to squeeze this in quickly. Uh, coming up will be Brendan Escott, who will state his case to a little teaser he gave earlier about the greatest athlete of all time. I'll tell you what, Jalen, if he's in the twilight of his career at, what, 37 years old now, I think James is up around, um, he's still pretty darn effective. Uh, He, in my opinion, as much as I don't necessarily always agree with what he has to say, how he behaves on the internet, whatever, he's the greatest Uh. athlete of all time. Physical specimen, unbelievable stuff. And at this age, he might even run it back with the Lakers. So, there's my hot Interesting. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's a, okay. Interesting. I'll have to think about that one, Esco. The, the greatest athlete of all time. Interesting. That's Brendan Escott, who who you will hear next to state his case on why LeBron James, in his mind, is the greatest athlete of all time. And we'll talk about other things as well. Campbell in for Wilkie this week on Inside Sports. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.